So I'd like to tell you a story, a true story about Jesus, if that's okay. That's all I got. <laughs> so as you know, Jesus was a very popular guy, and he had a lot of followers. As a matter of fact, if Jesus had an Instagram account, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok, he would have a gazillion followers, and he would have a gazillion likes with everything that he posted. But Jesus had more than just Insta friends. He actually had some up-close and personal friends as well. One particular uh, case was a family that lived in Bethany, about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. Their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were two sisters and a brother. And you may recall one of the stories of the many times that Jesus, when he was in town, would go over to their house for dinner. How cool would that be, right? And in this one occasion, Martha is really peeved because she's doing all the preparation while Mary is hanging out in the living room soaking up fellowship with Jesus, right? So Jesus did di uh, dinners with these folks. Well, on one occasion, Jesus is off in another city doing his ministry when Lazarus gets sick. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and they want him to come back to Bethany so that he could heal them. They say, Jesus... The one that you love is sick. And what they're signaling is this. Jesus, this Lazarus guy is not just any old guy out in the crowd. He is the one you love. Jesus and Lazarus were besties, some of the students might say today. They were besties, right? And so the logic is you heal all of these people in the crowd that you don't necessarily know. Certainly you'll come back to Bethany and heal your friend. And so Jesus gets this word, and he tells him that Lazarus isn't going to die and that he is going to wait where he's at and continue on in his ministry in this city. Matter of fact, he's going to linger there for two more days. And as he is lingering, Lazarus dies. So two days later, Jesus makes his way to Bethany, and Lazarus has already been dead for four days and has already been buried in the tomb. And when Jesus enters into the little town of Bethany, Mary and Martha rush up to him and they're yelling, Jesus, why didn't you come when we called you? If you would have, our brother would not have died. And Mary starts crying and everybody in the town starts crying. And it says that Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and he's troubled and he asks, where have you buried him? And so they take him to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. And there we have John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, which says what? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Who said you guys aren't into scripture memory? You know, yeah. But it's more than just the famous shortest verse in the Bible. Those two words signal that Jesus meets us at our point of pain, that he enters into our suffering and he feels deeply about our pain and our hurt. He feels deeply about it. Then Jesus walks up to the tomb and here's what happens next. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine if you were actually there? Could you imagine? As the song we just sang tells us, he turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into highways. He is the only one who can. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is still healing people today? Yeah, some of you right away, you're shouting out, yes, I believe that to the very core of my being, either because you just have faith, God has given you that gift, or you've actually seen it or experienced it with your own eyes. But some of you, it's okay, some of you are saying, I desperately want to believe it, but I'm having a hard time. It's a pretty fantastic idea that that stuff's still going on today, isn't it? And I have to tell you, I get it. Because even though I believe it, there have been times in my life when I was in the sandals of Mary and Martha myself, and there's someone that I deeply loved that needed to be healed, and I went to Jesus and begged him to heal them, and he didn't come through for me. Maybe some of you are in that place or have been in that place. The first time was in 1999 when my mother found out she had pancreatic cancer. The second one was in 2020 where Roseanne's younger brother, Mike, at the age of 59, discovered he had a rare cancer called cell carcinoma, a cancer that grows not only on the inside of your body but on the outside of your body. It's the most disgusting thing you'll ever see. And number three, when one of my friends, best friends, in 2021, just last year, uh, uh, had ALS, the guy that I planned on doing a lot of hanging out with when I got to my retirement years. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 1999 with my mother, after we got her set up in palliative care to handle her pain at the Cleveland Clinic, on the third floor there was a small chapel 
and I walked into the chapel and thank goodness there wasn't anybody there because I literally got onto the floor prostrate like this, just like David did when he was pleading to God for the life of his son in the womb of Bathsheba. I was pleading with God. I was crying out to God. I was bargaining with God to heal my mother. And three days later, she died. And so I asked myself the why question. Why didn't Jesus do this for me? Maybe you have asked that question about someone you prayed for and it didn't work out for you. Is it because maybe Jesus doesn't love me as much as he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Is that the reason why? I mean, I discovered on another occasions or several occasions, for example, in the Gospels, when Jesus is walking through a town, there's this funeral procession. Procession. There is this widow who not only lost her husband, but now she's lost her son. She's distraught. And Jesus interrupts the funeral procession and raises the boy from the dead. Here's the deal. The woman didn't know who Jesus was, and she never even asked Jesus to do this for her, and yet I was begging him to do it for me, and he didn't come through. He didn't come through. And so I asked myself the question, you know, why? Because for, for many people, when this happens, it gets you angry with God, right? Maybe that's where some of you are at right now. Or it causes you to walk away from God or to walk away from the church, believing that you have a better chance just doing it on your own. Well, for me, it didn't cause me to get angry with God or to walk away from God or the church because I kept doing some more digging. I kept asking some more questions. And I, I discovered two things that I want to share with you that may help you or maybe someone you know who is struggling. The first is this. The two main characters of the New Testament are Jesus first and then a guy named Paul. The two main characters, Jesus and Paul, are the ones who are doing most of the healings, the miracles, and raising people from the dead. Okay? They were doing it. And yet, in their time on earth, only on one occasion did Jesus and Paul ever make a prayer request to the Father for something for themselves. All the other times it was for somebody else, but only on one occasion, these two main characters who were doing all the healing make a personal request for themselves. And in both situations, their prayers were not answered. Hmm. You remember Jesus on the night before the crucifixion? Uh, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and not once, not twice, but on three occasions, he prays to the Father that he might find a way for Jesus not to have to go through the cross on Friday to be crucified. Friday comes, and Jesus is crucified. Then you have Paul. On three occasions, Paul pleads with God to remove what he calls this thorn in the flesh, which most people believe is some sort of debilitating, chronic, painful disease, maybe like an eye disease. And he asked him on three occasions as a personal prayer to do that for him, and Paul was never healed. 
hmm, that made me ask myself the question, if the two guys who were doing most of the healings make one prayer request and it's not answered for them, maybe there is something we don't understand about all of this, right? The reality is their prayers were answered. They just didn't get what they asked for because there was a greater purpose at stake. Think of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, was absolutely the only way that all of humanity would have access to the forgiveness of sins that leads to eternal life. It's the only way. So yes, Jesus had to endure six hours of excruciating, humiliating pain on the cross, but in exchange, all of humanity got access to the forgiveness of sins, which leads to eternal life. There was a greater purpose in the crucifixion of Jesus. In the life of Paul, he said that in fact, this illness kept him in his ministry from being conceited. That's what he said. You see, Paul was a type A, uh, hardworking, Enneagram 8, workaholic, and people who have that personality have a proclivity toward pride and conceit. And when it comes to ministry, that doesn't really work. You do it in your own strength, and it doesn't have the same outcome. Paul said that the constant reminder of his weakness enabled the strength of God to actually work through his life. He says, when I am weak, then he is strong. He discovered that there was a greater purpose in his illness than, um, than he did first discovered. And so the reality is, Jesus did love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but this is not why Jesus chose to raise him from the dead. In John chapter 11 and verse 4, he tells us why he did it. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Okay? So you have to ask yourself the question, what is the greater purpose in raising Lazarus from the dead? And Jesus said it is for the glory of God. Specifically, it is for the Son to be glorified through this raising uh, for a greater purpose. You see, when Lazarus was dead, it wasn't a near-death experience. He was like just dead. You understand what I'm saying? Because this is important, right? Because today we have lots of cool stories of people who experience near-death experiences. And in that, a lot of them see a light. A lot of them encounter Jesus. And then they declare that through a miracle, Jesus brought them back to life. Cool stories. But medical experts and neurologists can intervene and describe away the intervention of God in their life, right? But not with Lazarus. It wasn't a near-death experience. He was like really dead. He had been dead for four days. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' time, there were many Jewish people who believed that when a person died, the spirit of that person hovered over their dead corpse with the thought that it might get reunited with the corpse. 
within the three days. And many people believe that is why Jesus waited to four days before he arrived so that nobody would be able to say anything other than Jesus is who he says he is. And in this way, he is authenticated to be the son of God, to be the Messiah we've been waiting for. And as a result of this confidence, as a result of this authentication, there would be many people who would believe. And when these people would believe, they would recognize that their death is not the end of their story. Do you know what that means? When a person has confidence that death is not the end of their story, it gives them hope for today. That no matter what is happening to you, no matter what illness besets you, no matter what experience that you have with death, this is not how your story ends. And the authentication of Jesus on that day in Bethany was the greater purpose as to why Jesus chose to raise Lazarus from the dead. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is helpful to pass on to somebody else. Look for and trust in the greater purpose. Look for and trust in the greater purpose. When somebody, maybe yourself, experiences something that's not lining up, you don't feel like God is listening to you or answering your prayer, keep in mind this good God has got a greater purpose in mind and possibly one day you will discover it. Now here's the second thing that's going on. What if we look at the raising of Lazarus from the dead from the point of view of Lazarus, okay? Now, the Gospels do not uh, declare uh, the conversations that Lazarus would have had with Jesus, but I can just imagine how they might have went, okay? So here's Lazarus. He comes out of the tomb. He's a little bit startled, right, and uh, shocked that he's back in Bethany, and I envision him running over and giving Jesus a big bear hug and then walking over to sisters and crying breaks out and then a party breaks out and all of Bethany, everyone is super excited. And then as people are going home in the evening, Jesus and Lazarus are sitting around a fire pit and Lazarus begins to talk to Jesus. He says, Jesus, so let's review what's happened. He said, so I was sick and I died. And that was really a very awful experience, by the way. However, because of my faith in you, uh, when my body gave out, my spirit went to this place that I read about called paradise, where Abraham and all the other people who had faith in you were hanging out. And it was really a cool place. And while I was there, I discovered that a week from now, Correct me if I'm wrong, Jesus. A week from now, you're going to be crucified, died, and on the third day, you're going to rise again from the dead. But before you rise again from the dead, you and this guy that sneaks in at the last minute, some sort of thief on the cross or something like that, you guys are going to come into paradise, and you're going to retrieve us from paradise, and all of us who have believed in you before your blood was shed and really provided the forgiveness of sin, you're going to personally usher us into heaven to be actually in the presence of God the Father and you forever and ever. Wow, Jesus, that was going to be great until you raised me from the dead. So as I understand it, I'm going to miss out on that. Yeah, you're going to miss out on that. Huh. So I want to ask you another question, Jesus, and tell me the truth. 
do I have to die again? Yeah, you're going to have to die again. Well, I sure hope that there is a greater purpose that you had in mind. Jesus said, oh, yeah, there's a greater purpose in what we did here today. And Lazarus says, well, stinks for me, but I'm glad I can take one for the team. And I can just envision Lazarus and Jesus doing a fist bump with one of those. And Jesus says, thanks, man. Yeah. You see, Jesus did not resurrect Lazarus. He merely resuscitated him. And there is a difference. That is why what Jesus said right before he raised Lazarus from the dead is so important. I want you to, I'm going to put it on the screen and invite you to say it with me. Okay, you ready? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, when Jesus died on Friday, Good Friday, his spirit gave up the perishable body that humanity gave him, and instantly he received a new, imperishable body that will never experience sickness or death. The promise is that those of us who believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sin, this is what happens to us. That when our body gives out this perishable body that humanity has given us, our spirit will live on. Even though we die, we live on and we are ushered immediately into the presence of God the Father and of the Son and with all who have believed before us, including Lazarus, which I think we should have a little small group conversation with him when we get there to tell us what it's like to experience death twice. And then, and then Jesus promises that one day he is coming back and it could be any day now. And when he does, our spirits will be in a train with him. And if I have died before he comes back, he will stand in front of my grave and he will say, Randy, come out. Beth, come out. Todd, come out. Ashley, come out. And we, like Lazarus, will come out. And our spirits will be united, not with our old perishable body, but with an imperishable body. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. That is it, man. That is it. But keep in mind, this is not a resuscitation. This is a resurrection. If you're taking notes, write that down. Jesus is going to resurrect us, not to resuscitate us. So back into the chapel for just a few moments. After I had wept and cried and begged and bargained with God on the floor, I sat up on one of the little chapel pews. And... Uh, I heard Jesus whisper some things in my spirit. The first thing I heard him say is, Randy, I did not give your mother cancer. I didn't. You can get mad at me if you want to. I can handle that. But it is sin 
and sin in our world that causes diseases. If you want to get mad at me, fine, but if you want to get mad at the true culprit, get mad at sin. Do you realize that? Some of you are right now blaming God for giving one of your loved ones a disease. He didn't give it to them. Sin gave it to them. Be mad at sin. Curse at sin. That would be good. Just no four-letter words. Just curse. The second thing Jesus said to me is that, Randy, I could intervene on your mom's behalf. What do you mean, Jesus? He said, well, I could choose to intervene and heal her. So I want to ask you a question. How many more years do you want before you will say that I have been good to you and have answered your prayer? Do you want five more years? You want 10? How about 100? How about 1,000? Randy, the reality is I could intervene, but it would only be a temporary fix because sin requires that it is appointed unto your mother and to you and everybody you know once to die. I cannot overcome that. Sin has locked that in. You and your mother are eventually going to die. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I did provide the ultimate solution. That's when the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds you are healed. He was referring to me those many years ago, referring to the time that I hung on the cross and my blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. It wasn't a resuscitation. It was a resurrection opportunity. I am forgiving your sins once and for all. I have conquered over death, not only for me, but for you. Randy, don't be so myopic. Don't ask for something temporal. Ask for the permanent. Ask for the eternal. And that really helped me out a lot. So I asked myself the question, what could possibly be the greater purpose in my mom being taken away from me at the age of 62 when I wasn't ready? Well, sometimes we never know, but we trust that there is. But for me, in this case, I think I discovered it. I told my dad about Christ. I came to Christ at 14. I told my dad about Christ for many, many occasions, on many, many occasions, and every single time my dad shut it down. He wanted nothing of it. Son, don't ever bring this up to me again. Maybe some of you have that situation. But when I came home that day from the hospital after my mother passed away and entered into our house, I told my dad about Jesus one more time. And in this case, as a broken man, my dad decided to receive Christ as his savior. Jesus met him at his point of pain. Not only that, but I didn't know this until later, that my mother on her dying bed brought my younger sister into the hospital room and she says, you need to promise me that after I pass that you will go to Texas and meet up with your older brother and let him tell you about Jesus and baptize you. And soon after the death of my mother, my sister made her way to Texas and I talked to her about Jesus, I heard her confession, and then I walked over to a neighbor's pool and I baptized my sister. So here's the deal. It's been 22 years since I have seen my mother. I miss her and it hurts and it's painful. But in exchange, there has been a greater purpose. Now, instead of just seeing my mother, I will see every member of my family 
Not just for five years, not just for 10 years, not just for 100 years, not just for 1,000 years, but forever and ever. And to me, that's a pretty good exchange. After Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life, he looked at Martha and he asked her this question that I ask of you right now. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I ask you, do you believe this? For some of you, the answer is yes, I do. That's why I got up this morning and I came here because I want to be reminded of this story. I want to be reminded of the source of my hope. I want to come and I want to celebrate with all that I have within me. But for others of you, you're like my dad. You've been holding out, but maybe today God has met you at your point of pain and you're ready to believe. And if that is you, I'm going to invite you during this time of worship here at Lenexa to make your way over to my right where there's a baptismal tank. And our team will speak to you and talk to you about what it means to receive Christ. And then if you're ready, they will baptize you. You say, well, I didn't come ready on Easter Sunday to be baptized. I'd say, well, we're ready. And we got clothes if you want to have some clothes. And what a cool deal to go home today wet with hope. If you're at Speedway, it's over here to my left. And if you're watching online, reach out to our team and they will chat with you about your next steps. So I'm serious. If it's you, we've made time for this. Just make your way over to here. I double dog dare you. Make your way over to here and we will baptize you today on Resurrection Weekend, the Master's Weekend. Be standing to your feet.